Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for joining The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. There may be no more desperate a situation in the world than what's happening in Yemen. Four years of civil war have destroyed much of the impoverished country, and now the United Nations says upwards of 14 million Yemenis face starvation. Joining us from Dubai to talk about the crisis is Yus Tulterman, Middle East and North Africa Program Director for the International Crisis Group. Yust, thank you for joining us again on The Crisis Next Door. Jason, thanks uh, for having me on your program once again. Peace talks in Sweden seem to be showing some positive movement with the Yemeni government and the Houthi rebels agreeing to a ceasefire in the Red Sea port city of Hudaydah. How big of a deal is this? We've seen past agreements fall apart, but is this something that we can count on as a possible move towards future peace? Well, it's a a glass half full, glass half empty sort of situation. It clearly is a breakthrough. Um, Just the fact that uh, the Houthis and the government of Yemen could sit together uh, for an entire week without breaking up uh, is quite something. And more than that, they did come to some agreements. Now, that's the glass half full. On the flip side, we see that uh, none of these agreements are written in stone. A lot of detail is left to be filled in. um, And much will depend on the actual implementation on the ground. And there is no agreement to move from the agreement on the Hodeida port, which is really critical and a good step just by itself, from there to an actual framework for peace. There's talk of one, but there is no actual move toward one. Before we break into the details about what this ceasefire could mean, let's talk about the emphasis on Hudaydah and why this port city is so critical to Yemen. How important is it that the war move away from Hudaydah? So Hodeida is a port city on the Red Sea coast of Yemen, and it is the only main major port that Yemen has. It has other ports in Aden and Mukalla and other places, Salif also in the north, but uh, Hodeida is, is the port through which 70% of imported goods enter the country. Of It is also a place that provides 90% of the goods that go to the Northern Highlands, where the majority of the population live and where the population under Houthi control live. So what we see is that uh, people are close to starvation. Millions of people in Yemen are close to starvation. And this is due mostly because uh, prices are very high and uh, people don't get their public sector salaries. They cannot afford the little food that is coming through, the price of which has been driven up by the fact that the supply line is um, so poor, uh, because constantly under threat. If the port were to be closed off, it is almost certain that at least half the population, 14 million out of 28 million, would dip into outright 
famine. And that uh, needs to be avoided at, at all costs, of course. And I think what we saw in Sweden in the last few days is that there is an initial agreement on a ceasefire in Hodeida and a, the creation of a demilitarized zone and the handing over of the port in particular, the port facilities, to the United Nations. Yemeni forces, backed by the United Arab Emirates, launched an offensive a couple of months ago along the Red Sea coast, and they encircled much of the eastern half of Hudaydah. Uh, how strong have the Houthis been in Hudaydah to prevent an outright taking of the city by the UAE-led coalition? I don't think that the Houthis have prevented uh, the um, UAE-led coalition from uh, assaulting the city and the port. I think these are Yemeni forces supported by um, uh, Emirati aircraft. Um, they, they themselves have been hesitant to move into populated areas because, first of all, they're internally quite divided. And secondly, they don't really have experience in urban combat. The Houthis are very well entrenched in the city of Hodeida. Um, and so they have aimed rather for the port, but they've held back in part also because of international criticism uh, and the, uh, the specter of creating a yet larger humanitarian crisis than what we've already seen. So this, this combination of factors, uh, ur- uh, you know, the United States urging restraint uh, when it comes to Hodeida, for example, that has translated until now uh, into some restraint by the UAE-led uh, forces uh, uh, advancing on Hodeida. But these forces are arrayed in, uh, around the city, are very close to the port, are close to cutting off the last remaining road inland. Um, and so if the ceasefire breaks down, uh, then uh, this, this, this uh, a, a final offensive would be imminent. And the question then becomes, can these forces take the port without the city? And if not, because the Houthis in the city would be firing at the, their enemies in the port, would you then have to take the city itself? And if that's the case, um, I think we can expect a prolonged battle because of the difficulty of dislodging these uh, well-entrenched and hardened Houthi fighters from the city. And that would then in turn uh, lead to a major disruption of the supply line of goods into the country. And as we've seen from other urban battles in Yemen, such as the capital of Sana'a, the the fighting has been absolutely devastating. Are are the Houthis well-supplied in Hudaydah? Are they receiving Iranian arms? Are the Iranians the big backers of the Houthis in this fight? Well, there is no clear evidence that the Iranians are supporting the Houthis in Hudaydah in particular. Um, The the Iranian support uh, of of the Houthis is, is clearly there. Uh, in general, uh, the Houthis, uh, in, in, you know, were in their their headquarters in in Sana'a, the capital, and and in the north in Sa'ada, um, but it's 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 also been rather exaggerated in the media, um, and uh, it seems that uh, first of all, the Houthis, the, the weapons they have, uh, are mainly weapons that, that they captured from the Yemeni army when it collapsed. And um, they've received some training, apparently, from Hezbollah in Lebanon, and they've received electronic parts for missiles from the Iranians, it seems. Um, But it's nothing compared to what the other side is getting, of course, from the United States. And so, um, but they've they've got enough firepower in in terms of small and light weapons uh, uh, to um, be a real problem. 
for for the uh, for the attacking forces in Hodeida. Um, and there's no notion that if and when Hodeida falls to the UAE-led forces, that there would then be an assault on the strongholds of the Houthis in the mountainous areas of Yemen, where, again, the majority of the population lives. So um, uh, the Houthis are strong, um, but Hodeida is out down in the, in the, on the coastal area, is rather exposed. The Houthis could lose uh, Hodeida and not lose the war, um, but it's clear that who, who would lose is the civilian population because they would be cut off from supplies. You mentioned the United States, and in November, the U.S. Senate voted to end U.S. involvement in Yemen, uh, citing the famine and, of course, the murder of Saudi dissident journalist Jamal Khashoggi. How critical was that vote? And, and do you think that that means a possible change in direction for the future of the war in Yemen? So I, I, a couple of factors have contributed to growing American pressure on the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen to um, move to the uh, negotiating table and to push the Yemeni government to the negotiating table, because until now we only see Yemeni actors uh, in Sweden at the table, the, the, the government of uh, Abd Rabbul Mansour Hadi, the president, and the Ansar Allah, the Houthi movement. So uh, these two factors are, uh, first of all, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi um, by the Saudis, and the outrage that this sparked in the United States, especially in Congress. Um, and so we've seen uh, uh, that outrage translate into certain steps taken by Congress. But in and of themselves, these steps are not yet very significant. That could change when the new House takes its seat uh, in January. The second factor is a real concern also in Congress, but also more widespread, about the humanitarian catastrophe that Yemen is already becoming. And the responsibility that the United States would have in part for it because of its military support of the Saudi-led coalition. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. We're talking about the civil war in Yemen and 14 million Yemenis on the verge of starvation. We're joined by Yus Tolterman, Middle East and North Africa Program Director for the International Crisis Group. What are your thoughts on Riyadh? Do you think it's concerned that the U.S. is rethinking its position on supporting Saudi Arabia in the Yemeni war? Or is Riyadh so bent on fighting Iran in the Gulf region that it's going to keep up the pressure on Yemen regardless of what the U.S. wants? You know, what Saudi Arabia wants in Yemen is not a Yemen without the Houthis, even though I'm sure they would be happy with a youth, uh, Yemen without the Houthis, but a Yemen in which the Houthis play a political role and not a military one. They don't want Yemen to turn, in their view, into a Lebanon where Hezbollah uh, reigns supreme. And so um, they're happy to talk to the Houthis. Uh, they're happy for the, the Houthis to uh, be part of a political transition. Uh, but they don't want uh, the Houthis to keep their their weapons uh, and to uh, basically bully everyone, all the other political and military players, and control uh, the, the mo most of the country. That is what the Saudis want. Um, if the the Houthi, uh, so condition for the Houthi, for the sorry, a condition for the Saudis um, for any progress in peace talks is that the Houthis disassociate themselves from Iran. So that is definitely. A, a top priority for the Saudis. Now, the Saudis are concerned that American support is not as uh, full-throated as it has been in the past, 
And I have to think about, in fact, the more distant past, because for the Saudis, the turning point came um, in 2011 under the Obama administration, when um, that U.S. government uh, did not back up uh, the Mubarak regime in Egypt during the Arab uprising there. And the Saudis found this deeply disconcerting because they thought if the United States was not going to stand up for its ally in Egypt, then why would it stand up for its ally in uh, Saudi Arabia? And so from that moment on, it's embarked with the United Arab Emirates uh, on a, um, a more or a less reliant foreign policy, less reliant on the United States. And um, uh, that has led in part to the intervention in Yemen in 2015, uh, when they saw that the Houthis uh, were uh, trying to take control of the entire country. And they pushed them back uh, from the south into uh, the center of the country. But now they're stuck. Uh, there's a stalemate. And now they want the United States to help them break the deadlock. But the United States doesn't see the possibility of a military victory by either side in the war, and so uh, has been skeptical of providing more military support than it has until now. And so uh, it is now uh, has been fully in support of the peace talks in Sweden. And now we have to see in the coming period whether, whether that uh, sort of the combined uh, intent by the administration, especially the Pentagon, uh, and the pressure that is coming from Congress is sufficient to, um, you know, basically sufficient to help implement or help the parties in Yemen implement the agreements made so far and the agreements yet to be concluded uh, as the peace talks progress. Is the UAE acting mostly out of sympathy for the Saudis or does the UAE also possibly fear the Houthis turning into a, a Hezbollah-type group in Yemen? The, the Emiratis and the Saudis are on the same page when it comes to Yemen in terms of making sure that the situation there remains under control, but they depart on other issues. Um, so uh, these are tactical issues, not strategic ones. So their alliance is strong. Um, but they do have different um, priorities on the ground. And for the Saudis, it clearly is the Houthis, because the Houthis are on the Saudi-Yemeni border and are therefore a direct threat to the territory of Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, for the Saudi Arabia, the Houthis equals Iran. And so uh, clearly uh, the Saudis don't want uh, Iranian proxies right on their doorstep. For the, for the Emiratis, um, the southern Yemen is more important. Uh, they're, they don't like the Houthis, that's clear. And, um, but they have other groups in uh, Yemen that they also don't like. Um, Al-Qaeda is one of them, and, uh, which is now in the south mainly. And the other one uh, is the Islah Party, a rather large movement, which is essentially the Yemeni um, uh, branch, if there are such things as branches, of the Muslim Brotherhood. And um, and and this is this is an enemy of of the Emirates, um, but it's a significant political actor in Yemen, not so much a military one. So in the end, I think um, if it were to come to a peace agreement, uh, if the Saudis will be satisfied if the Houthis cease to be a, a, a serious military actor and become a a political player along with others, and for the Emirates, it's sufficient if. Um, uh, a group that it likes is in control in the south. Uh, it might possibly secede. And as long as it has control of the Red Sea coast, because generally uh, the Emirates are trying to 
gain control of a number of port cities, not only in Yemen, but but all along the, the Red Sea coast, also in Somaliland, in Ethiopia, and Eritrea. Um, so that that to them is a uh, is a strategic priority. Is Iran backing the Houthis mainly to be an irritant to the Saudis, or does Tehran have longer term strategic hopes for the Arabian Peninsula? If you listen to to the Saudis and Emiratis, then you will hear that Iranians have a a long standing strategic plan to reinstate either the Persian Empire or. Uh, impose Shiism uh, on on Muslim lands and to capture Mecca and Medina. I, I think there is no evidence of this, uh, though you can always find uh, Iranians who uh, verbalize these kinds of uh, megalomaniac uh, goals. Um, the if if you look at it more soberly, then you would see that in fact the investments Iran has made in Yemen are very low compared to what they have expended in Iraq or Syria, especially, or in Lebanon. Um, but so, so in that sense, yes, Iran is acting more as an irritant in Yemen than anything else, keeping the Saudis on the back foot uh, and um, basically um, gaining a, a freer hand in other parts of the region where it has um, greater strategic interests, especially Iraq and Syria and Lebanon. What are the thoughts on the ground in Dubai? Are, are people in favor of the UAE and the Saudis leading this coalition to fight the Houthis in Yemen? Is there broad support for this war? Well, I'm not aware of any opinion polls here, but um, I can say that uh, generally um, people support the governments here in, in the Emirates and in Saudi Arabia in opposing um, the, the Houthis in Yemen. Um, generally, uh, Iran is seen as a threat. Uh, of course, that said, in Dubai in particular, there is a long history of trading with Iran. The business community has long been involved in active business with Iran. Many Iranians used to live here. Now, a number of them have departed because uh, due to U.S. sanctions, even before uh, the current administration, uh, a lot of people have, have basically given up. Uh, on doing business from Dubai and have moved to other places. Um, but um, so I think, generally speaking, uh, the level of polarization in the region now is higher than we've seen it in a long time, and that includes governments and, and the people. One of the threats to a ceasefire taking hold is the Saudis and UAE saying that the Houthis in Iran will simply take advantage of any coalition goodwill and improve their respective military positions and also count on U.S. war fatigue. Do you think that the Saudis and UAE have a legitimate claim in that regard, that the Houthis will simply use this moment to strengthen themselves elsewhere in Yemen? You know, in this conflict, as in many other conflicts, both sides have real fears about what the other side will or will not do uh, in the case of a ceasefire. And that is why you have ceasefire monitors and you have outside actors active uh, in monitoring and um, uh, enforcing, in some ways, the ceasefire and to act diplomatically if things go awry. Um, of course, the Saudis and Emiratis have long been saying that the Houthis cannot be trusted. Um, and, and there is no trust in this conflict or in many other conflicts. If you are going to wait for trust to emerge, you can wait an awful long time. It will not happen. Uh, 
So um, you have to verify instead. And, the, and that is what, what needs to happen. Um, and you have to count on the fact that all the parties sooner or later are going to be tired of continuing the fight. It doesn't seem to me that the Houthis um, uh, are eager to extend their influence more than they already have. And they might well compromise on some issues, such as Hodeida port. It seems they have said, and we have to see how the implementation works, but that they are willing to hand over the port to the United Nations, not to the uh, Yemeni government. The United Nations would then use the existing technocratic staff in the port under international supervision to continue the port's operations. Uh, if that works, great. If it doesn't, then we're back to square one. Um, but um, uh, the Houthis, likewise, um, have very little faith on any agreement. Um, that is in the nature of the conflict. But that's why it's so important that international actors are present, were present in Sweden, uh, are mediating this conflict, are signing off on any agreements, um, and are essentially taking some moral responsibility for the outcome. Well, we certainly have to hope that work is done so the port is freed up and the food lines start to flow back into the country. Absolutely terrifying to think that up to 14 million people are on the verge of starvation. It's a horrifying prospect. And um, I think there, this is starting to resonate worldwide, uh, but it hasn't yet translated into actual concrete steps, but we are getting close to that possibility, thanks to the talks that occurred in Sweden. And so now we just need to make sure that we can take the next step and can prevent this already horrible situation, because many uh, children have already died from starvation, and many others could well die in the coming weeks and months if no progress is made on the diplomatic front and the, and the, the port ends up uh, being assaulted and closed down. We certainly hope for that progress. We've been joined on The Crisis Next Door with Eust Hilterman, Middle East and North Africa Program Director for the International Crisis Group. Thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 